inspire her. Watching her fall into tears as she got to see her baby on ultrasound, it just, I wanted to cry in that moment because it just is so incredible what I get to do every single day. Here's your host, Kristen Balboni. Welcome to another edition of the Inspire podcast presented by Atrium Health. This is a podcast series for Panthers fans that highlights admirable women across the Carolinas as they share stories and lessons from their lives and careers. I'm Kristen Balboni, the Panthers team reporter, and today I am so excited because my guest is Dr. Allison Bell, who is an OBGYN with Atrium Health Women's Care right here in Charlotte, and she is my doctor, and I just think the world of her. Dr. Bell, thank you so much for doing this and for talking to me. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's a huge privilege to be here. Well, I know how busy you are and, you, you know, you take such good care of me and all your patients. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to talk a little bit more. And I'm excited uh, to get to know more about you. So I do want to, to ask you, though, about calling Charlotte home. So we have similar paths, you know, although you are delivering healthy babies and make sure women are healthy. And I'm talking about sports, but I have moved a lot in my career and you have as well from, you know, whether it was college or medical school residency. How is it when you finally get to to where you want to put down roots and, and call home? And has, has Charlotte become that for you after kind of having to go where the job, the role takes you for, for quite a, a good part of starting out? It feels so nice to finally land in our home. Um, you know, like when you go through medical training, right? So like, you know, you do four years of high school and then you do four years of college and then you do four years of med school. And then I did four years of residency. For most of my adult life, I've lived it in four year chunks and always kind of drifting from place to place to finally be in a location where I want to raise my children, send them to school here, um, you know, really evolve my career here. It is a very surreal experience. You know, you, you wait all all of this time to get to this place. And I, and I just can't believe I'm finally calling Charlotte my home. It is our home. We will be here for a very, very long time. I love to hear that. And and similar mm-hmm. with me, as I said, although it's interesting to hear you say four-year chunks. For me in my career, it was two or three-year chunks, which was the, the length of a typical broadcasting contract. And our goal was always to get back to, to North Carolina eventually. And so that's where both of our families are. That's where we would like to raise our kids. And so uh, it's oh. even though very different fields, uh, it's interesting mm-hmm. to talk to someone that has the same kind of background where, mm-hmm. you know, I always felt like, okay, you, you go, you make your friends, you find cool things Mm -hmm. to do. You establish yourself. And then I kind of felt like by the time I had done that and had great experiences in Connecticut or Chicago or LA where I've lived previously, but by the time I had done all the work and started to feel comfortable, it was time to to go on to the next thing. So um, I imagine Mm -hmm. you felt the same. And I'm I'm just so glad that, that you are now calling Charlotte home. I completely agree. I'm happy you're here too, though, because I just feel so lucky to have met you. You're just a ray of sunshine. I'm always happy when you come into my office. I think you're happy. I think you're like that all the time. But I appreciate you saying that because you really are a ray of sunshine. Um, You just uh, it's just so much fun getting to talk to you. And like any excuse, you know, it's I'm like, okay, can we do a podcast now? You're going to wait. You're going to find out something that I'm going to ask you to do at another time because our regular checkups uh, just aren't enough. (laughs) But I know. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Well, we should just hang out outside and watch some TV together. Some Bravo. Absolutely. I know yes. you love it as much as I do. That's why I said we're going to start our own Bravo podcast. Maybe that's what we'll do. I uh, love it. <laughs> I love it. I don't know when you would have the time, though, but we can work on it. I, I mean, I will make time for Bravo and for you. Me too. Me too. We're in. All right. We've already got it all planned out. I'll talk to Matt, our producer, about getting a schedule together. I love it. Let's do it. I do want to ask you as well, um, because as I said, you know, my job is is fun and I, I don't lose sight of the fact that I get to do something that is um, just really entertaining every single day. But but one thing I really appreciate and that kind of connects the NFL. One of the ways the NFL connects to something bigger is that, you know, I remember watching in high school of just the field during October being all pink and the emphasis on breast cancer awareness. And in the last few years, they have moved into expanding into all uh types of cancer awareness and they call it crucial catch and it's a huge deal and there's uh the the merchandise uh you know it's this big colorful color palette that they sell um the the clothes and the hats and you see the sidelines decked out and it's it's impossible to miss and i think there are those Mm -hmm. moments in in my job which is typically very fun and very lighthearted, where you look around and you go wow this is hopefully making an impact with someone and i remember uh the breast cancer awareness initiative and seeing these football players players talk about their experiences was very moving to me and meaningful to me as a, let's say, a a 16-year-old young girl in high school to know that it was something that that was important and that was cared about. And I am very proud, you know, as someone who's had cancer affect my family and somewhat recently when I go out and see that commitment by the NFL. So so in that spirit, what are some of the tips when, when patients come in and ask you about how can I make sure that I'm, I'm being careful, I'm, I'm self-checking, I'm doing everything I need to do? Uh, what do you tell patients when it comes to uh, cancer awareness on more so than just the days that we see it, you know, kind of uh, right on our TV screens or around us? I think the important thing you said is when they come in to see me, right? So one of the important things that you can do for yourself is to get your annual exam um, and to come in and have what we call a clinical breast exam where we will, you know, feel on the breast tissue, you know, analyze the breast tissue, um, even if you're below the age of 40, um, to make sure that your breast health is is healthy. Um, they have actually gone away with recommending self-breast exams, which on one hand, I understand because the studies don't really support it, right? So we were doing more interventions, more testing, more biopsies. But on the other hand, I think the biggest thing that a woman can do for her own health is be her own healthcare advocate. Mm. I see you once a year at your annual exam, you're with your breast the entire year. Yeah. So, you know, it helps me if you are aware, like this is what my breast tissue normally looks and feels like. And so you can notice those changes that might be really clinically relevant to me. So that, you know, just really being self-aware of what your body is doing, what your breast tissue is doing. And, you know, they can change through your menstrual cycle, but just understanding what your body looks and feels like is really important. Um, You know, coming in for your cervical cancer screening is also really important through a pap smear and discussing any issues or concerns that you have. And finally, I think another really important 
thing to do is to talk to your family about their cancer history. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I ask my patients, well, do you have any family history of colon cancer or breast or ovarian? They're like, um, I mean, well, maybe, but I don't know who, and I don't know when. And so I think it's really important to have these frank conversations with family members so that we can better stratify how much at risk you are. Absolutely. It's so incredibly important. And one thing I appreciate about being your patient is the way when I have questions for you, and and we're certainly going to get into a lot of these questions, you just you put it in such a way that it just simplifies it, it makes it easy. And it doesn't seem like it's um, that big of a deal. You know, I think sometimes we get a little nervous sometimes about going to the doctor with women with their annual exams or their checkups, or even people, you know, going to the dentist, you go, okay, all right, you know, it's what's is it going to be bad if I I didn't floss. Um, And that I just appreciate that (laughs) about you. So maybe that's just me. I don't know. But um, (laughs) or maybe I'm giving too much away. No, I mean, they ask me, like, have you floss? And I'm like, no. I just always say not as much as I should have. I know that uh, I've stopped trying to pretend, but I um, but you do just make it so easy. And that's why I'm so excited to to get into just not only your advice for for women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, but also um, and beyond, of course, but also how you manage it all. I just adore talking to you. And I'm so excited that we're going to dive in on a variety of different topics. But first, I was reading your okay. bio on the Atrium Health website, and I just I love that you refer to in your own words, your career um, as an OBGYN, as your calling. And I just want to read this verbatim because I would never want to take credit for these amazing words, but it just hit us so hard reading it. I mean, it's really beautiful when you said being an OBGYN isn't just a job for me, it's my calling. And it is such a, I have goosebumps reading this next part. It is such a privilege to be the first person to hold a child and then deliver them to their parents. Yeah. What was the journey to that ultimately led you to to being an OBGYN? Well, I never thought I would be a doctor at all. Um, I grew up in a family like my parents didn't go to college. Um, my grandparents were immigrants to the country. They didn't go to college. And it wasn't that education wasn't emphasized in my family. It just was not something on my radar. Um, when I applied to college, I didn't know how to, I got into college and I, I really thought I was going to maybe do something in science. I knew I liked science, um, maybe do some research. And I started doing an internship after my freshman year of college um, in a lab. And I was responsible for spinning down proteins. And it was at midnight and in the middle of a lightning storm. And I realized this was not my passion. And I'm someone who like, trust my gut and goes with my gut. Um, that's how I chose my college, my med school, my husband, um, when I have my kids, you know, I just, I go with what I'm, I'm feeling. And I thought back to one of my first high school jobs was to be a receptionist at a physician's office. And I remember enjoying the times that I did get to interact with the patients. And I was like, well, I should try to go to medical school. I mean, what happens? Like I work really hard to get good grades. And if I don't get in, I find something else to do, I guess. Um, I was so naive. I had, I was just like, I'll, I'll try it. Um, and I ended up getting in uh, to medical school and I just, I couldn't believe it. But as soon as I decided I wanted to be a doctor, I knew that I had a calling for women's health. Um, and I guess I've been watching reality TV for a long, long time. Cause I remember back when I was in elementary school, I watched the, the baby story on TLC and I love that show. I loved <laughs> watching all those babies be delivered and the excitement and the drama of all of it. And um, I don't know if that like started my interest in it. Um, I also love working with my hands. I mean, 
my, one of my hobbies is crocheting and cooking. I love using my hands to accomplish tasks. And OBGYN is such a beautiful mix of women's healthcare, operating, delivering babies. And so I always knew I wanted to be an OBGYN. And if you talk to a lot of physicians during medical school, they were like, I went in, I had no idea that's what I wanted to do, or I'm not quite sure what I want to do. Um, and I always knew I wanted to be OBGYN and I never wavered from that. And, you know, I get to ask this question a lot of like, well, what would you do if you were not a doctor? And I honestly have no idea. Like I cannot see myself doing anything but obstetrics and gynecology and doing what I do. It's, it's incredible. Like it is truly the biggest privilege in the world. And I get so tickled. Like this morning I was ultrasounding a 10 week pregnant patient. Um, who I went through a lot to conceive this pregnancy and, um, watching her fall into tears as she got to see her baby on ultrasound. It just, I wanted to cry in that moment because it just is so incredible what I get to do every single day. It's amazing. That is so beautiful. Man, and that's how you know, if you can't think of anything else that you would rather be doing, that's how you know you're in the, the right profession. Or as you as you said, it's your calling. And thinking back, I was having a conversation with my mom and my aunt not too long ago, and they were talking about who delivered uh, me and my brothers and mm-hmm. my my aunt's uh, kids, uh, my cousins, and, um, you know, telling stories about the day of our, our births. And that is something that, mm-hmm. as either a, a mother or a child, everyone knows the, the doctor who was there for the delivery and who guided the mm-hmm. mothers through the, the pregnancy and then delivered their baby. And it is such a connection. And as you said a little bit mm-hmm. earlier, you you take so much of it home with you and you are so wrapped up in your in your patients' lives, um, whether you start with them at a young adulthood or their expected mothers or all the way through menopause. Uh, yeah. What is the key in your mind for finding that right patient doctor, uh, whether it's chemistry or trust or, a, you know, a doctor for women that you think is really going to see you through and have your best interests at heart and advise you in some of the most personal matters to women? That's a, there's a joke that I heard once, like there are two doctors that you really need to be close with. And one is your psychiatrist. And the second one is your OBGYN, right? Makes a lot of sense. And to I, always, me. I, I, I know I, I also joke that like I practice gynecology because a lot of what I do is, is about mental health. And I, and I think the key is just when you go to see your OBGYN, how do they make you feel? Do they make you feel comfortable? Do you appreciate the questions that they're asking? Or do you notice questions that they're not asking that you wish that they would? ask. And there is someone for everyone out there, um, you know, and, and sometimes it takes a little bit of, of exploration to find that gynecologist that you can really vibe with, you know, and it's okay. Like if you come to me and you're like, she's just not for me, that's okay. I want you to feel comfortable with your OBGYN because understandably what we do is very private and very personal. Um, you know, I hear a lot about people's most intimate details on their relationships, on their sex lives, on, um, you know, we do the most intimate exams. And so I really think the key is just having good open dialogues and listening to your heart. How do you feel that your physician is, is listening to you and makes you feel, you know, are you comfortable? It's never fun to get a pap smear. I can't promise that. Like you're, I don't like blow confetti after I do your pap smear. Like that's not it, but it's a, I, I know this is a hard exam, but I felt comfortable. I felt like she listened to me and I felt that she appreciated my concerns. Absolutely. And and taking those things that aren't things that people necessarily look forward to, but are important, you know, like your yearly checkup, like your pap smear and making them less 
scary, less uncomfortable, you know, if, if we were talking Bravo throughout the whole thing, like what a, what a great way to pass the time if you if you need to be there doing it for, for your health, which we all yeah. do. So I, I absolutely oh, yeah. love that advice. Uh, yeah. I thought we would go kind of through the different age ranges of patients that you treat. And, you know, most of our listeners are, are in this area, but but just in case they can't get to you specifically, maybe some common questions or tips that you hear a lot or um, advise on a lot for different stages of, of yeah. life. So as you said, young adulthood to menopause and everything yeah. in between. So when you mm-hmm. see patients who are coming to you, uh, you know, let's say 18 or, or 20s in their 20s, mm-hmm. what are some of the most common questions you get asked or some of the most mm-hmm. common advice you would give uh, to uh, to young women? The first question I get asked a lot of time is, do I need a pap smear? Um, and what is a pap smear? So I, uh, one misconception is that whenever we place a speculum in, that that is a pap smear, and that is not true. So the pap smear is a different test that we run to test for abnormal cells of the cervix. And so um, if you get a pelvic exam, you're not always getting a pap smear. And you should start getting your pap smears at age of 21. So it is not surprising if you're like, I'm 18 and, or 19, I haven't had a pelvic exam yet. That's not bad. You know, you're not, you're not neglecting your own health, but by the time you're 21, you need to start coming in or thinking about it and getting that pap smear done and just testing for cervical cancer. Um, so that was, that's the first one I get, like, when do I need to actually come and see an OBGYN? I mean, you can come in whenever I love seeing my patients. I love that. And I love what you said about normal being such a, a big spectrum. But I also love this whole conversation around normalizing these questions that I think sometimes as women, we go, mm-hmm. well, maybe nobody asks this. And that's why I love that we're doing this podcast, because guess mm-hmm. what? We all have yeah. these questions. We all have a variety of questions. And and finding someone like you, Dr. Bell, where you, you feel comfortable. Um, like you said, it's one of the yeah. most important doctors that you want to have a great relationship mm-hmm. with. So as we said, you know, and I know that it's not just 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, but mm-hmm. as as you said, maybe later 20s or women who, mm-hmm. if they choose, are, are thinking about starting mm-hmm. a family. No, that's not for everyone. Yeah. What yeah. are some of the most common topics that come up at that stage of life with your patients? Sure. Yeah. So as we start to transition into like the later 20s, early 30s, it's the am I going to lose my fertility talk. Um, a lot of misconceptions, a lot of like the well-meaning moms are like, your eggs are going to die and you're never going to get a, give me a grandchild. Um, I get that a lot like, oh my gosh, what's happening to me? And the first thing is, is that um, a, a common question I like to ask, when do you think that you have the most eggs in your body? When do you think? Oh my gosh. Um, is it, haven't they always been there? Is that right? So you're right. You are born with, um, all of your eggs that you will ever have, but you have the most number of eggs before you're even born. So it actually peaks when you are um, in your mom's womb and then it just goes down from there, which is just so reassuring, I know, to hear. Um, So when you are born, you have about 2 million eggs which is crazy. By the time you hit puberty, you're down to 300,000. And by the age of 37, you're down to 25,000 roughly. Um, And so certainly after age of like around 32, we start to see a more significant decrease in your fertility and it's much more rapid after 37. So um, we can get a lot of questions about, can we freeze my eggs and things like that? I don't handle the egg freezing. Um, That is way out of my purview as a generalist, but um, you know, I certainly have great resources to get you to people who can do that for you, but you know, you're not going to be infertile by the time you hit 30, you know, um, about 90% of couples who start to have uh, intercourse in the, in the hopes of conceiving will conceive in 12 months. So 90%, that's wow. really pretty good. Yeah. Um, and so it, 
it doesn't happen within three months, don't panic. Um, certainly after the age of 35, I start doing infertility workups after six months of trying. But before that, you need to give it a full year before you think that there is something truly, truly wrong. Mm. That's yeah. that's such great info. And I know that you specialize um, or have a special interest in postpartum depression. Yes. Can you talk a yes. little bit about why you were led to to really get into that specialty? Because I think it's something that has people are talking more about it, it feels like to me. And maybe mm-hmm. that's because I'm, I'm in this age range. So I, I hear it or yeah. see it more. But it feels sure. like it's something that maybe when I was growing up was a taboo or maybe that people felt alone um, if they suffered from postpartum depression, wasn't talked about as much. And I think over the last, gosh, five, six, seven years, it feels like the people in um, positions of of um, power or or celebrities have come out and and started to have these conversations. And certainly, um, physicians such as yourself are leading the way in these talks. So, so what drew you to that? And and what are some of the more common themes that you see? Sure. So I, um, I definitely grew up in a family that treated mental health as like, just put on your big girl panties and deal with it. Life is hard. No one owes you anything, you know, depression is fake. Um, and I, that's how I, I grew up and, and, you know, I'm so ashamed to say this, but I used to feel the same way um, about depression and anxiety and treating your mental health. And I think until it happens to you, sometimes you don't realize how terrible it is. So this is probably a way overshare on my part. But when I was in medical school, both my parents passed away. And so my mother passed away in my third year of med school. My dad passed away uh, seven months later, my fourth year of med school. And I was pregnant with my first child. And obviously that was very traumatic to go through. And then I had a baby, you know, within two months my father dying. And I realized how unhappy I was. This is supposed to be the happiest time of my life. I just had a beautiful baby boy, but then I couldn't breastfeed. He wouldn't latch. He was born with um, a cleft palate. He needed surgery. Um, I was about to move across the country for residency. I was finishing up medical school and I got seriously depressed. I was so, so unhappy. Um, and I finally said, well, you need to put your big girl panties on and deal with it by actually going to get mental health. Like it is a real thing. It really affects people. And so I went and got therapy. Um, I got on medication and I did much, much better. Um, with my second child, I again had a little bit of postpartum depression, not nearly, I knew what to look for, um, and which was helpful. And I think going through that very traumatic, time in my life certainly made me more sympathetic and empathetic to my patients. And so knowing how great I felt after I got the appropriate treatment, I wanted to share that with patients who desperately need it. And motherhood is hard as H-E double hockey sticks. And sometimes you're allowed to feel sad and that's fine. But if you're ever feeling like it is going up beyond what you expected, like you can't function anymore, things that used to bring you joy, you know, longer wanted to, you're always sad, you have no energy, um, you can't concentrate, you don't want to eat, um, that we are here for you um, and that we can get you started on treatment or I can find you a counselor um, that I will get you through this or find someone who can help you get you through this. And um, so it's certainly something that I'm really passionate about because I know it how hard it was for me as a mom, um, the first go around and the second go around. And, and so I want my patients to feel that support. Well, I'm just honored that you would share that story, um, with, with me and with everyone listening on this podcast. And I just, I think it's so incredible that you 
took just a, a devastating time. You know, I don't know how one person can can deal with all of those things that that you were talking about with mm-hmm. the passing of your parents mm-hmm. and then having having your first child all at once while <laughs> while mm-hmm. um, you know going uh, starting your residency mm-hmm. and the fact that you've taken just such a, a devastating time and mm-hmm. used it in your practice to help other people um, and to support mm-hmm. them. I think that is just uh, so incredible. And like I said, I, I appreciate that you would share that story with everyone because I, I do think, as you know, of course, the fact that we are talking about these things and sharing these things. And that's the point of this podcast mm-hmm. and specifically this episode mm-hmm. is that we all have um, a lot of the, the same questions. There are very similar mm-hmm. experiences and these things do need to be normalized um, like postpartum depression. And so I, mm-hmm. I'm just so grateful that that you are willing to open up about your own experiences as well as the way you treat your patients. Um, That's really, really moving. And I I thank you for that. I think it's really important not to, sorry to interrupt you, but um, I think sharing your story, and I always tell my postpartum patients, like, if you feel comfortable sharing, like, please share this story with other women. Um, It's the same thing with miscarriage. It happens in 25 to 30% of pregnancies, but no one talks about it. And you live in this like hidden sadness, um, that you don't feel free to share. And, and so I think just by talking about it and normalizing it, um, you know, putting uh, faces to the names of these issues, I think will help people feel more free to seek treatment and, and feel free to either grieve a lost pregnancy or say like, yeah, I am not doing well. I am white knuckling motherhood. Um, and that's, that's what we're here for. I am an open book. Um, I really want my patients you know, I'm, of course, I'm always their physician, but also be like woman to woman, mom to mom, like this stuff is tough. And, and, and we're here for you. So I want to talk to you about, you know, it's called the Inspire podcast and your inspiration Mm -hmm. and what you find most rewarding, because it does seem, as you've said, treating all of these different life stages and taking a patient through, you know, yearly checkups to talking about how does this interact with your mental health to maybe one day delivering their child and going through pregnancy Mm -hmm. with them um, and and fertility talks. Where do you find uh, your joy on a daily basis? Because it seems like you find it in a lot of Mm -hmm. places with your job. Yeah. That's like the hardest question you've asked me. Um, I, you know, some days I, I'm absolutely slammed. Like we're so busy and which is such a blessing, but I, I like truly the things that inspire me are, are my patients. I mean, some of them have absolutely incredible stories or they've gone through so much in their life. You know, I think about some of my like little pipsqueak, stupid problems that I have, um, in my privileged life and to hear some of these like truly horrible struggles or hurdles that some of my patients have how to overcome is really inspiring. My patients are amazing. They're why I do what I do. Um, and then again, just being inspired by, you know, I believe in a higher power and just inspired by how amazing it is that we are even brought into this world. Like truly all of us are little miracles walking around, you know, cause it has to be the right time and the right place and the right temperature and the right, you know, yeah. and it's just, it's so humbling about how everything comes to be like every day. I'm just in all about the human body and what it can do and, and how different every woman is and, and the challenges and, and the issues that come up and being able to be a small part in, in solving or helping these patients. It's just, I, and, and I can't say this enough, I'm truly, truly privileged to get to do what I do. I don't know what I would do if I couldn't do what I would do. 
it is, it's just, it's very humbling. It's very awe-inspiring. I have goosebumps right now. That was, that was so beautifully said and it's, it's such great perspective. And, you know, I, I think I speak for, for many people when I say not only do I agree completely with what you said, but, but to add to that list, there are people like you who aid us in the journey of, of making sure that all of that goes to plan, you know, and in terms of, of bringing life into this world, it is such a, it is such a huge responsibility. And um, we, I know I wouldn't be cut out for it. And so I am grateful that there are incredible physicians like you who are doing that work and, and making sure that, that everything goes so smoothly and, and bringing life into this world on a, on a regular basis. It's really beautiful. Well, that's really kind of you to say, and I have to, I mean, I have to give all the credit to my patients. They are just the amount of trust that they, they put in me is again, it's just so humbling. I love our patients here at Atrium. Like they are just, ugh, they're everything. I, I just love them. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for doing this. It's um for anyone who, who may not know, this is in the, the middle of the day. And Dr. Bell talked about her efficiencies of, you know, making sure that her um, time is, is being used to, to the best of her ability and, and scheduling out these little times. And so I know that you've taken about 45 minutes out of your day to, to chat with us and hopefully help um, our listeners out there and certainly help me in terms of, of getting a broader view of everything and having these important conversations. So Dr. Bell, I just want to thank you so much for, for taking this time for all of us. Well, thank you so much. I would do it anytime. And come see me if you need me. I, I, I may do that. And I'm also going to pitch you on that Bravo podcast. Okay, so that's next. We'll- oh, I love that. <laughs> I'm, I, I might be good in obstetrics and gynecology, but watch out with my Bravo knowledge. It's good. It's on fun. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Dr. Bell. We appreciate it. Of course. My pleasure.